because I didn't like who I was. I didn't like myself. So if I could be all these other people, I wouldn't have to deal with me. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to the another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad you are back here. You know, there's a, a new place that uh, some of us are hanging out called Clubhouse. And uh, my guest today is somebody that I found, um, I met on Clubhouse um, in one of those rooms that we were talking about podcasting and having impact with our podcast. So um, today, Sean Dustin, Dustin is joining me today. I'm really excited to bring him to you to share his story and really most importantly, what he's up to now based on what he learned um, through his story of struggle and addiction in the past. So Sean, welcome to my podcast today. Hi, Moira. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad that you are here. Glad to make that connection. Clubhouse is a pretty cool place to hang out these days, right? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of a lot of real organic uh, connections are being made there. Uh, a lot of real conversations are taking place, like meaningful conversations, um, not just surface level stuff. I mean, some people in there are getting deep. And, you know, I mean, I've heard a number of people cry on Clubhouse, including myself. Mm. And so I really feel like that's what society uh, across the world is really lacking and why it's taken off so fast. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that what's uh, interesting about it, too, is if, you know, you listeners don't know about it. I mean, it's a play. It's a you know, it's a virtual place that you can go to through your phone, but nobody sees you. So you have your little whatever it's called, the avatar, your little profile picture. And, um, and then they just hear you speak. And I just think there's something, there's some type of um, like safety in that. Like we can see each other now in recording, but when people listen to the podcast, nobody sees us, at least with mine at this point. But um, I think there is, I like to record this way so I can see you while mm -hmm. we're chatting, um, even though the audience can't at this point. But I think there is something to be, you know, in that, well, anonymity or, again, that safety of people not having to see what I look like. It's almost like the voice, you know, <laughs> in some way, you know, that, hey, I want to they, they hear your your song and your voice. And then and that's all they're focusing on. So I think in Clubhouse, we're focusing on what that person is really saying and mm -hmm. that content they're bringing in that connection and that openness and things like that. I've I found the same thing, some really neat connections there. Yeah, I feel it, it, I feel like it, it, it's almost like a vetting process, right? Because it's really, I mean, you can speak about whatever you want, but if you're really listening, you can literally hear when somebody is smiling. You know, I, I, it's weird, but you can. You can hear when somebody's smiling. You can hear when somebody is, it's just through the intonation or different sounds that, that are made. And that's the kind of cues that we as a species, that's what we tune into and what we can tell. So we can tell authenticity just through listening to somebody mm -hmm. and, and, you know, their message. And if you hear them enough, you can start to get whether or not they're real or not, you know? And sometimes when people just come through super authentic and, and just tell raw stories and, you know, and they start, I don't know, it's just, to me, it's, the whole process goes, okay, I listen to you. Oh my God, that's, I, I really resonate with what you're saying. So now I'm going to go to your profile and I'm going to look there and I'm going to see, okay, what's this person about? And if I really, if it matches up and I'm like, oh wow, I want to go further, then I'll go to your Instagram. And so it's almost like a, like a three to four point authentication process before you actually go in and, and follow and subscribe to them. Mm -hmm. And that's really organic which is not what you get on the other on the other platforms because you just see something and you're like, Oh, I would have follow you. You got pretty things and shiny stuff all over the place. And most of the time it's, they're really not there to, because they 
identify or or really resonate with what you're doing. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, <clears throat> I've taken a little bit of a break from it just because of some, you know, my mom's in failing health and, you know, I was sitting in the, ho- in the hospital getting all these notifications. I'm like, okay, I got to turn, <laughs> turn clubhouse away for just a little bit um, until, um, until a little bit different time. But again, it's, it's a great, it's an interesting platform. Um, I listened to a couple of podcasts about, about it before I jumped on just so I could just really understand it a little bit more. But um, yeah, I do encourage people if you have a, have an iPhone, my brother's here and I was talking to him about Clubhouse. He goes, yeah, I got to jump on. I said, no, dude, you got an Android, so you can't get on just yet. <laughs> Maybe sometime. Too bad for you. That's right. <laughs> Sorry about that. But anyway, back to um, the purpose of the podcast of sharing uh, stories and hope and things like that. You have quite a uh, you have quite a story and where you've been. And as I always say, let's start with the story, but not not all of it, all, not all of those the down and the dirty and all of that. But um, certainly, you know, the reason why you feel like you started to struggle and started to grab onto things that were not so good for you. And really importantly, how you got out of that or got yourself to a point where you wanted something different than the struggle where you were. I'll give you the condensed version. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we'd be here for three hours. That's correct. <laughs> So basically, um, I grew up in a broken home. Uh, my father was an abusive alcoholic. Um, you know, there was a lot of fighting going on. There was physical abuse I heard, but I never really, I, I never saw it or don't remember it. And then, you know, when they, when when I was growing up, like when I was, I think seven is really when I started getting in trouble because I was angry about the situation. Plus my parents were using me to get back at each other. And I'd go to my dad's and I'd, you know, hear about how horrible my mom was and, you know, vice versa. And so I was just angry about the whole situation. Uh, first time I really got in trouble was in preschool when I got kicked out for throwing a rock. At, well, it was a dirt clod, but I didn't realize there was a rock inside of it. And I threw it at somebody and hit a little girl in the face. And so I got expelled from there. And then that was the beginning of me becoming a latchkey kid, which for anybody that doesn't know what that is, it's, you know, you basically take yourself to school and home uh, and really have the run of the home and no supervision and no uh, discipline or anything. That was a horrible idea. And whoever came up with that should be uh, <laughs> incarcerated because <laughs> it, it, it really spawned a whole generation of like unruly kind of kids, including myself. And so that lasted all the way through. I mean, I got I got expelled from three different junior highs. Um, you know, I came back and, you know, I was just, I was always in trouble, you know, from the very young age. And my first uh, time I did drugs was I had found, I'd found some marijuana in my mom's room because I was, she took away my Walkman and she was never there. So, I mean, I would just, all right, you know, take it away from me. I'm going to go rummage through your stuff and find it. I found some marijuana in a bong and and somehow I knew what to do with it. And I did. And I jumped on my skateboard and we lived on a really steep hill. And I would never, ever think about riding my skateboard all the way down it without stopping because I'd get speed wobbles and jump off and get scared. And I went all the way down uh, this hill and didn't fall, didn't, didn't jump off, didn't do anything. And so that was the first kind of like, uh, like, I don't know. Uh, experience with it was like oh my god it takes away your fear and and i can be this whole other person on this and so i didn't do it for a, a while after that but that was my first experience with it you know then you know alcohol at a really young age and then that on and off in junior high but when i got into high school all my friends were doing something and they would never let me uh try it you know they would disappear into a room and i would i was the youngest one and so I would be stuck out there like, like, well, all right, well, what's going on? And, and so it really created this thing where, well, I want to do what they're doing. And at some point, I think it was when I was 16, and nobody would give it to me still, and that was methamphetamine. Back then it was called crank. And I knew that my step, uh, my step aunt, because my dad had remarried this other, uh, this other lady who lived down the street from us, and they still live there and the the sisters still live there and i knew that they were like kind of tweaker people and so i started hanging out over there because that i wanted to get i wanted to try it 
and she was like maybe 13 to 15 years older than me and i was about 16 and she gave it to me and so that was the first time i tried it and you know everything was downhill from that point on you know ended up in uh getting given up as a, a ward of the court because uh, i was incorrigible doing all kinds of stuff got in so much trouble went to a, a 16 month group home type residential treatment center for adolescents got out did okay for a little bit came back home to my mom's went to my my brothers didn't realize that he was a a cross-dresser and was going to started that process of becoming transgender and so that was really difficult for me to deal with. Uh, this is some, a person who I, you know, we used to play basketball and all these other things with. And so there's, there's one thing there that, that like kind of threw me for a loop. Got in a fight with, with her now and, you know, told her I was going to kill her and, and all those other things. And so I had to come back home to my mom's. Eventually went up to, another, to Sacramento, California, where I had run into it again and started a whole life of becoming a drug dealer and you know selling club drugs raving uh, did ecstasy sold ecstasy cocaine ghb all that stuff and so now i was really immersed in this like lifestyle and my dad's a cop too so that you know my whole father's side of the family are law enforcement you know even my grandmother she was the first female police officer in uh, berkeley california wow yeah and so you know here here i am this this kid that's gone completely the opposite direction of them living in the same city as my father and I, I remember having a conversation with him and i was telling him i was like look i'm doing all these things if if my name comes across your desk at some point because he was a fingerprint a latent expert so he was a criminologist i said i don't expect you to look the other way do you do what you got to do hmm. and so, I mean, that's kind of like the relationship that, that we had. I mean, he wanted to be a dad, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, I, and I wanted to be rebellious and, and live this life that I thought was, you know, really all it was is I was trying to get out of doing, working a real job. And so I was anything that I could possibly do to get out of doing what I should be doing, which was a pattern since I was a kid, you know, everything that... My mom would always tell me, if you would spend half as much time just doing the right thing as you do trying to get out of doing the right thing, you would probably be a lot further in, in wherever it is you're trying to go. And so that's kind of how it went. And I ended up getting a, a stripper pregnant because I, that's where I spent a lot of my time. You know, I, I was very manipulative uh, with women at this point and just using people. I used people to gain things uh if you if you didn't serve a purpose in my life you probably wouldn't be in it right and so i didn't look at people as relationships i looked at them as stepping stones to get me where i needed to go and that really formed that narcissistic kind of behavior and patterns and and stuff that you know we see in, uh, we see a lot today and that just continued and it just got more and more and more and more as, as time went on. And uh, I ended up moving to Vegas um, with said stripper because I got her pregnant. And the only reason that, that we moved was because I'd ran into somebody um, or got into it with somebody who the next time I saw them, it was going to either be me being dead or, or him. And I was like, well, it's not going to be me because I'm not going to be here. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be the one that's going to kill me. And so I said, well, you know, maybe we should move to Vegas. You're, you're a stripper and there's plenty of strip clubs there. And th that would be good for me because <laughs> I wouldn't have to go to work and have to worry about anything. And so that's what we did. And, and he got there, I think in, I think my daughter was born in 2000. So we got there probably in 99. Got a job, uh, was working, you know, periodically, uh, but I was still drinking because I couldn't, I didn't know anybody that had drugs or where did you even get them. So I was getting drunk often, you know, it was always some sort of substance that I was going to. If I couldn't get a hold of the one that I wanted, then I'd find something else to check out with. Yeah, that's, uh, that lasted for a while. My daughter was born in 2000. Uh, when she was 18 months old, I ended up 
getting a DUI and we had separated at this point, but I was still in contact with them. And because I had done something, I wrecked my ex's car. She let me use it to drop her off at the airport. She went back for Christmas uh, and her family in the Bay area. And I totaled it, uh, ran right into a, uh, a light pole because I was on GHB. And so fell asleep at the wheel, boom, hit it. And there's a whole, there's a whole other story that goes along with that one. But I mean, that's the gist of it. So she had my rights terminated and I had gotten a DUI, got served, not on that. I got a DUI on something else. Um, I got served while I was in, in, uh, incarcerated waiting to get arraigned and all that other stuff for her to have the parental rights terminated. And I didn't contest it. I just abandoned my daughter. She was eight months old or 18 months old. And I just figured, well, you know, I'm no, I'm no, she would be better off with her anyways. And at least this way, I don't have to pay child support. That's how I looked at it. Uh, right or wrong, indifferent, whatever. It's just, that's where I was mentally at that time. And I spent the next, I would say, I moved I moved to Phoenix, tried to do a geographical. Things are going to change if I go to a different location, right? Um, stayed drunk there the whole time for about six months. Came back to Vegas. Moved in with uh, some friends that I'd worked with before. They left, moved back to California. And I ended up in a roach-infested weekly uh, in North Las Vegas. I didn't know what to do. I was like, man what am i gonna you know what's happening and i and i hadn't been using meth at this point but i'm still drinking and and maybe smoking some weed every here and there and uh i go well let's go back to what you know go apply to be a bouncer at a strip club you've done that before get back get back with a woman that you know you can use and manipulate to to you know stay find find shelter right and i did and what ended up happening was uh, she was a meth addict. And the first time I even went over to her house to hang out with her, I, I'm at the door and she's sitting there smoking, rolling a pipe and smoking meth. And I'm just like, walk away, walk away, walk away. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. As I'm walking straight to her and took it. I, I knew better, but I wasn't strong enough to say no. And so from that point on, I, I started a, a criminal enterprise. I started selling meth. I started, uh, you know, employing people to go and do uh, smash and grab robberies and businesses uh, and trading it for, for drugs. I ended up getting basically selling to the wrong guy I'd been dealing with for a year. He got busted, turned a, a CI on me. I sold to this uh, confidential informant five times. I was being surveilled. They were, you know, basically watching me for a while. I knew something was going on, though. I, I just had this feeling that my time was up. So I got rid of all of the firearms that I had, um, illegal ones that they I was getting from, you know, them breaking into people's homes and, and selling them to me. And I like four days later, I got raided by the, uh, by the SWAT team. And up to this point, I've almost died five times i had three well four times the fifth time is when the when i got raided but the four times prior to that one was three of them were overdoses uh one was the accident and this last one was um the raid because i had a firearm i had one left and i thought somebody was like when they came in they, they flash banged it and they threw concussion grenades in and i wasn't in the room that they put that they focused it all in right and I was in the back room, so it didn't affect me at all. I was just, I thought somebody was doing a drive-by, honestly. And I was counterfeiting hundreds at the time, so I was working on one on the computer screen, right, in, in the room. And so I opened the door, I come out, and I had this gun in my hand. And I go out the hallway, and there was a huge, remember those big, big screen TVs that weighed like 3,000 pounds and mm -hmm. were six feet tall back in the day. Mm -hmm. I had one of those that were in front of the, the door. So the door wouldn't open up all the way, but I saw the shields. So immediately I had the gun in my hand and I saw the shields and I'm like, oh, and I ditched the gun behind the TV and in one motion jumped and laid down with my, my hands on my head. They never found that gun because I was smarting off to them. 
the when they threw one of the flashbangs in, I had a double pane glass window with uh, it tinted on the inside. It bounced. It went through the first pane and bounced back on them and blew up on them. And then and then the police dog bit one of the officers because it got scared. So they were pissed as soon as they came in. Anyways, I started mouthing off and they picked me up while I'm hogtied and just rammed my head into the TV, pushed the pushed the TV up over the gun. They never found it. Hmm. Which would have got me five more years because it, the serial numbers were filed off, and that's just an automatic five-year charge. So, you know what? Apparently, um, there's a reason that you <laughs> made it through all this because it like plays like a movie, right? Or like uh, mm-hmm. one of those CSI or whatever those shows are that we watch that it's just on and on, and like, how does this person survive? But I mean, you're you're here today mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. speaking to me and you know, the sign behind you that others can't see is like nowhere to go but up. I mean, come on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. what a great, uh, that couldn't be more appropriate for you to name your podcast and your mission and your, to help others is because, I, I don't know, you got nowhere else to go, but. Yeah, I started from zero three times in my life. And so that's why I named it Nowhere to Go But Up because I mean, shit, three times? Like who, who better to talk about coming from nothing and, and, and rising back up than me mm. and, and, and in my own life. And so I went to prison. Um, uh, you know, there, there's a lot more involved in that, but I don't think we're going to have time to, to get to all that. So I ended up going to prison, uh, did three years uh, federal, three years state or not three years, 18 months state, 18 months federal. And if you want to know more about how all that came about, you probably just check out my show. There's a lot of stuff in there that will explain that. I got out in 2006, didn't learn my lesson. I still had more to put on my resume. Let's just say 2008 happened. I got involved in my union that I'm currently still in as an apprentice in 2007. 2008 hit the financial crisis and we all got put out of work pretty much. And I was getting unemployment, a lot of time on my hands, found the meth again, uh, had gotten married uh, when I got out as well for all the wrong reasons. And then as soon as that happened, I found what I was looking for. Somebody hooked me up with somebody that was willing to teach me how to do the crimes that I, that I was wanting to do, which was credit card fraud, learning how to buy the information online through the dark web and making my own credit cards and using them. And so along with IDs and everything else. So, I mean, I've always been super intelligent. (laughs) I I just, I would just apply it in the wrong ways. Right. Right. You know, I've always been a natural leader, but I led people in the wrong direction Mm -hmm. and to serve myself instead of serving others. Right. Right. And so those are the lessons that you know you you need to learn early or else you're going to continue fumbling uh in life you know when you're just serving yourself you usually don't things don't happen for you the way you want them to mm-hmm. um or sometimes they do but when you're going in that direction they don't and so in 2010 i well i went awol for my marriage for 3 months i just disappeared turned my phone off and was in the in the world of crime didn't uh didn't answer my phone didn't communicate until everything was okay well i'm all of this is going away now uh i have nowhere else to i need to come back home and so i crawl back expecting you know my charm and all the stuff that i usually that usually works oh it's going to be different this time i promise i'm so sorry please take me back can you and she wasn't buying it because she was an addict too right an alcoholic in recovery and so the point where it started going up was I had done two violations. I got violated twice. Once I went to a 90 day treatment center, which I bullshitted my way through the whole thing and was still using while I was in there. And that's a whole nother story. I had a, another dirty and, um, and, and mind you, I'm on federal supervised release while I'm committing all of these crimes. Right. And so doing all the credit card stuff and I, you know, I think it was, on, on New Year's Day, and I can't remember if it was, I think it was 2010, New Year's Day, January 1st, I went to a Best Buy to do something, and I'd been up for three days, had no business going anywhere, doing anything, and got caught. Um, they, I had been using people's IDs and using people's information for so long that 
when they got when I got arrested, I had uh, and they found I ditched the I ditched my uh, my wallet, but they retraced my steps as I came out of the store and they found it. I would have almost got away with it because I could repeat the person's information that I was using flawlessly from their 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 social security number, where they live, their ID number, their phone number, everything. Like I was this person, but not really. And so they were about to let me go and, and the guy found my wallet and there's seven different IDs with seven different credit cards and to match it. And when they asked me, okay, so who are you? Um, I drew a blank. I'm like, I don't know. Like I couldn't think of my own social security number. I couldn't remember it because I've been using so many other people's for so long. And I think the reason why identity theft was so, um, why I, I gravitated towards it because I didn't like who I was. I didn't like myself. So if I could be all these other people, I wouldn't have to deal with me. And so that was one thing that came to mind as I look back on everything. So anyways, I did a, a violation 90 days in a, in, a, in a place, but the turning point for me was is that I was in a high-speed chase with my ex because I was trying to convince her that, you know, things were going to be different. Everything around me, like, like the, the footing around me was getting pulled out from underneath me to where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, I don't have nowhere, to, I'm going to fall and I don't have nowhere to land, right? And so it really became real for me at that point. I had to turn myself in for uh, in, in six weeks. So I'm chasing her down the highway during rush hour. I'm weaving in and out of traffic, being really destructive. Um, and she could see that in the in the in the rearview mirror. And she immediately pulled over and she's like, "Dude, you're gonna kill somebody or yourself. You need to stop." And all I can all I remember about that is that for some like everything just came crashing down on me at that one point, and I just just fell to my knees and started crying uncontrollably in my in my in my hands and i just came to the realization that all your all of your manipulations and all of the things that you try to do and everything just came tumbling down at that point and i really i literally was above myself watching myself and i was like dude you look so pathetic right now like like who who are you like what are you doing and from that point on, I stopped uh, doing drugs. I stopped doing the meth because I knew I had to turn myself in. And I used that as the reason to stop because I didn't want to be kicking while I was in there. I was going to a facility I'd never been to, which is a county facility, which is a lot more dangerous than, than a prison because the politics are, they're not really politics in, in a jail. And so I quit smoking, quit doing that, did my time, came back out and was with her still but i mean the relationship was shot i mean when you treat somebody that way i mean it basically all she was doing was trying to like you know get me to a point where she can get rid of me yeah. <laughs> and and so it and it did it, it, it worked you know um i started playing adult slow pitch softball and this is going to sound funny i stopped hanging out with everybody stopped doing the drugs started playing slow pitch softball started enjoying myself and around people that weren't doing those types of things. I didn't like the league I was playing in. So I said, well, I'm going to start my own league, figured it, made a goal, figured out how to put the pieces together to do it, did it. It was successful, achieved it. And I was like, huh, maybe I am not a stupid criminal. You know, maybe I can do something other than than just be a a, a manipulative uh, drug addict, you know, loser. And so I'm like, but you had said before that you know you were a leader, right? But you were leading, you were leading things that you know that weren't good. But you were, I mean, you were you had created things before. You had created your credit card and your crimes and all of that stuff that, you know, everybody just heard, but you had those leadership qualities, if you will, you just use it in the wrong way. And it sounds like from what I just heard, like all of a sudden you created something and you mm -hmm. saw that like, wow, my creativity, my leadership, my, like me, I can create something that's good, right. And great and value. And that I can feel good about as opposed to this other crap that I just did for the last well, well, I couldn't years? be proud of the other stuff, right? Because it's—I mean, my parents couldn't be proud of it. I—I I couldn't go and brag about it and like, "Hey, look what I did!" 
Right. You know, because people would be like, you're a piece of shit. What, what, you can't brag about that, mm-hmm. you know? And so there was nothing that I could ever, you know, I, I had this narrative that I'd built in my head because I was always in trouble and always bad. And so here I am almost like rewriting the track, right? Mm-hmm. Ch- changing that narrative in my own mind. And I mean, it, it was a long process. I mean, get me wrong. Um, you know, this is still 2010. Uh, you know, I'm still in the union. I, you know, started doing that. Then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get on the, I start, I joined the rowing team for the, uh, for the union. So here's another thing that I'm doing that I'm, that's putting me in a different place, right. Around people that are, I want to be like, right. And so from there I got involved on, uh, as a Sergeant at arms in my union, got elected to that, did that for two years um got elected again to the executive board and a trustee did that for two more years and uh in in the interim too so in the softball world i was becoming really immersed in that and so i wanted to become a tournament director and run my own tournaments did that was successful doing that and so there's all these things where i'm just leveling up leveling up leveling up oh i can do this well let me try this and it was like this newfound toy right of of like oh there's this whole other world over here that like i could play around with <laughs> you know and and do things and so it just you know from one to the other to the other to the other but all the while so i ended up in softball i got hurt and i ended up in a seven-year opiate addiction that lasted till about two, 2017 which i could still function versus the meth i couldn't but I was still, you know, wrapped around and trying to find pills and, and deal with the sickness because I took too many and the, the withdrawal symptoms and all this other thing. So, I mean, there, that was really kind of keeping me from going. It was keeping me in a certain area. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was still in the union doing all of that. I had uh, I think in 2018, I had decided to run for a business agent position. So I you have to you have to step off of the uh, your current roles to take to to get elected for that one so that didn't happen i ended up losing and that was a gut check because i built up this this idea of who i was in this union and elections are based on popularity mostly not merit you know and i'd done everything like i had worked so hard to to try and 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 get this and i didn't know that this was going to happen then they made a position and and they the the people at the top were like we want you in it and you've done everything but i was still an asshole right i was still arrogant you know i was still this this person that didn't have humility or or, or was very humble i let my my successes go to my head and my ego was really well, took over can- yeah, and it sounds like you went back or stayed in that space of serving you, mm-hmm. right? And serving mm-hmm. your ego and what you wanted as opposed to serving others. And I think when we, we've, many of us have learned over time that if you can be a servant leader, mm-hmm. you know, we can get our, we can get our needs filled when we, but if we can, we can start by serving others and helping others, then it comes back to us and we get our, get our bucket filled too. But we have to mm-hmm. learn to put that, that focus on serving others instead of our own stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's 2018 right there. Um, You know, I, I started the, you know, go back a little bit to like 2015, I'd started the tournaments. I had started taking teams and sponsoring teams with the money that I made to go to the world series of softball, which is in Vegas. So we did that two years in a row. And then, but all along my anger, so I'm not using, but my anger issues were flaring out here and there, right? I would try to fight people uh, on the softball field. I would, you know, I actually got suspended for a year from playing um, because I beat somebody up on the field. And so, you know, and two, I'm an, I, I was an abusive person through all my relationships up until my last one with my, my youngest daughter's mother. Not physically, but I mean, I was a bully. I would, you know, shove her. I would throw her on a bed. I would do, you know, a lot of things that wouldn't get me in trouble that she couldn't point to and say, look, look what he did to me. Look, there's proof. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was kind of a, a like a bad person. I was verbally, uh, mentally, emotionally, uh, and borderline physically. And well, and I kind of hear or kind of didn't hear like what I what I hear with other stories and um, that I've uh, featured on this podcast is that along the way, as people have, you know, gotten clean and sober or making made different choices, they've they've um, they've, you know, gone into treatment, but they've gotten some counseling. They've done this, you know, they've done work to kind of peel back the layers to talk about like the notes that I made here, like, you know, those boundaries that you didn't have set for you when you were a latchkey kid, like dealt with, okay, what, what did that mean when, you know, I didn't know how I didn't, I wasn't shown boundaries. So like now I have no boundaries in my life. And so, but what I'm, you know, and so you haven't, you know, I'm just making the statement by listening to your story. I didn't hear any like, okay, I had to, I learned what that was all about. And I learned, I peeled back the, I peeled back the layers to say, okay, that's where my anger is coming there. This is why I didn't want to work for anybody else. This is why I didn't like who I was, that type of thing. And, and I believe that if we don't deal with, like, we don't peel that stuff back and become vulnerable there and open ourselves up and lay ourselves on the floor and go, okay, so what does this mean? And let me process through this and let me process through it with you counselor or you treatment center, you friend, or you nature outdoors while you're taking a walk, help me process through it. So I don't repeat it. So I can figure this stuff out Mm -hmm. so that I can show up differently and thus don't repeat these patterns, which sometimes I don't even know. I'm just pissed off. I'm just, you know, hurting the people around me instead of loving them. You know, those kind of things. That's what I, that's what it seems like wasn't there has been missing was missing mm-hmm. you know yeah I don't well, know. It, yeah it was missing up until i started the podcast mm-hmm. so i started listening to podcasts probably about i don't know two years before i started mine i was listening to joe rogan and i was i would listen to that 14 hours a day sometimes because i was from the time i'm commuting till i'm at work the trade that i'm in is you know usually we're by ourselves so i mean i'm have my earbuds in and I'm just listening to content over and over and over again, listening to all his episodes, following the people that what we do in podcasts, when you listen to them, you hear a guest, you know, oh, wow, I like what they're saying. So you go and go down the rabbit hole on their show. And so there was all these amazing people I started listening to and my mindset started changing because I'm hearing all this stuff. Right. And so just naturally, like, I guess by osmosis, um, I just start changing my mindset to, well, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. And I started becoming more self-aware of the things that I was doing and how I was showing up in different things. Losing that election really was a slap in my face because I'd never really ever put that much into something and didn't get the result that I wanted. And so that was my first really like failure in this new world of, of goal setting and, and, you know, showing up in a, in a a responsible way. And it, that really hurt. It, uh, it it caused it like, okay, well, here's how I see myself. But then, you know, those memes where this is who I am and who I think I am. And then there's how everybody else sees me. Mm -hmm. And so I really had to take a hard look at that. And, you know, I licked my wounds for about a month. I didn't, I just kind of withdrew from everything for about a month trying to, you know, figure things out. 2020 hit. Well, I started the podcast, I would say in uh, May of 2019. And I started, it started out as bottoms and life struggles and letting my guests tell their stories of, of, you know, how they got through it because I was interested and in, in, because I went through the same thing. I didn't want to just outly tell my story. I just, I wanted to be able to relate my story as I'm talking to other people about their stories, right? Like, oh, I relate to that and this is why. And then they continue and it's just like a a, a natural conversation that you would have. What I didn't realize was, is that through my, so I used to manipulate in a really bad way, but I started leveraging guests uh, if I was struggling with something like self-sabotage or, or, um, you know, anger issues or any of these other things that I, I struggle with. And I would have them on and talk about it. And so the more I would talk about my own situation and my own struggles, it kind of took the power away from them. And it kept my issues in the forefront. So as they were coming up, I was aware of them. 
And it really wasn't until I learned how the, the brain sort of worked that the perfect example is, is that when I struggle with weight and I bounce back and forth all the time and, you know, I have a negative self talk around my image and, and how I look sometimes. And one of the things that I did with my ex is she struggled with it too. And that's where if I knew that I couldn't hit her and she, and she pissed me off, I would go directly for one issue that, you know, her issues and I'd beat her up that way and not saying that it was right. Um, but that's just kind of what I did. And what I really, what I realized is when I was attacking her about her weight, I was really attacking me because I was, I, I struggled with it. I couldn't change it. And I was, and I, or I, I was having a problem changing it and I didn't like myself because of it. So I projected it onto her, my own hatred for myself. It's true. I mean, I agree with everything you said. I mean, I've heard, I've heard that before. I've heard that in my whole, my own leadership um, role in my business. They say when you are bothered by something that somebody else is doing, it's kind of like a reflection on, well, maybe that's, that's you. It's bothering mm -hmm. you in them because you see that in you. And I just have to give, again, light to what you just said about when you started the podcast and what you do and what you did. Because I got to tell you, it's exactly what I've I've done too. You know, I wanted to shed light into this world of sitting in a space of a mother, a caregiver, of somebody that struggled, is struggling with an eating disorder. I've recovered from my own. And I wanted to give light to to me and like the journey that I've been on, but share stories of hope. And I got to tell you, when I wanted to learn about intuitive eating, I found a gal who's a coach in intuitive eating. I go, let me, you know, let's talk about that. And I would find people, or I do believe that the universe and God of my understanding led me to people that even today you said that. And I was like, that's exactly what I do. And it, and it's, it's a been a like, and I said this on the podcast, like half of the reason why I do this is for me. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, and thank God, he sent me people that when I read us a, a passage from a book that I was featuring, you know, I was featuring the authors, the mother and the son in this book that I, that, you know, the publisher sent it to me and said, Hey, would you have them on your podcast? And when I read at the, before I got them on, cause I wanted to read the end of it, I'd read most of the book, but I was like, didn't finish it. So I'll read the last couple of chapters, couple of pages before I got them on. And um, the mother said, you know, I've come to believe that addictions are the work of the devil and not of the God that I know. And faith got me through and on and on and on. And I read that and that's exactly what I needed to hear on that day. And that conversation with Laura and Tom Bolt was so healing for me and just what I needed to hear. And I didn't know that I needed to hear that. And I believe that God knew that on that day I needed that. And so I think it's, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that you found that you're doing the same type of thing that I am, that as we're, what I hear from you and from, you know, again, you were serving yourself for so long, but you are serving others now. You've chosen to try to help other people and share their stories. But in the meantime, it's coming back to help you. And mm -hmm. because I can say that because I'm in that space that is coming back to help me because my struggles are not gone. In uh, you know, my daughter continues to struggle. I have, you know, a busy life and all the on and on and on. And I continue to be served as I'm serving others. And I think it's a, a, a you know, it's it's worth noting, you know, what we're doing here in this space of trying to help others. In the meantime, it can be healing for us. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of different lanes of podcasting, and you know, shows have different different reasons why they start them um and, and i i agree it uh it has been so impactful in my life and and me in my self-awareness and, and and realizing you know why i'm doing the things that i'm doing and I, by no means am i perfect i still struggle um you know i i had a a, a bout of road rage the other day and i was just like oh you know, because it's one of those things, it's like a split second. And I had to really look at like, okay, well, what's going on? You know, I, first of all, I didn't, didn't kill anybody and I didn't get in a fight and, and, you know, I didn't get shot. Uh, that's a, that's a plus, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but 
here we go again. You know, I take three steps forward and one step back. And, and I had to take a look at what was going on in my life at that point. And so like, there's this impending doom of going back to a job I don't like. There's this, you know, we talked about earlier, my podcast and not growing as fast as I want it to, considering the kind of content that I'm putting out there that should be helpful for everybody. And so there's all these, these frustrations and I'm not talking to anybody about it. You know, I'm not being vocal about it. So what is it doing? It's just festering inside. And it just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, what, what, what was happening before that point, right? Uh, I, I cut somebody off, not on purpose. I didn't realize it. I didn't see them. And so the guy started, you know, started getting on my rear end. And all right. So what started happening? You know, my, my heart rate started going fast. I started gritting my teeth and getting to that point. So these are, these are things that you have to realize when that happens, don't let it go to the next point, right? You see the first signs of it and, you know, the immediate would be start talking about stuff that, you know, and don't let in like a release valve, you know, when you start talking about things and it's like, mm-hmm. a little bit starts going out and it doesn't get to that point where you blow up on, on folks. So anyways, it, it, there's a lot of that. Right. And so I, in, in my, in my opinion, the most important thing that I talk about right now is my abusive behavior in the past, because I think that everybody has been touched by somebody who has either been in a relationship uh, and, and struggled with some sort of abuse as a woman or, or even a man, because it comes on both sides um, or have a daughter or a, a friend that has been in a relationship with a narcissistic type of person who is abusive. And so you don't hear very many men coming out and talking about that openly. Mm-hmm. It's a shameful thing. You know, you usually won't even hear about it unless it's in the, in, in the four walls of a, of a counselor's office. Right. So being that example to other men, like, Hey man, yeah, it's shameful and we shouldn't be doing it. But if you don't talk about it, you allow it to continue to have the power over you to not stop it. Right. Yeah. Silence. Yeah. Silence can be just an acceptance and an allowance of, um, of that behavior or that, that thing. Um, and like you said, when you talk about it, when you give light to it, um, and this gentleman who I mentioned before we went live, you know, Louie said he wanted to change. He wanted to, he wanted to break the, you know, break the pattern. He wanted to change things for the future. And so you are giving that, ability as you talk about this to other men you're giving them the power and yourself the power to say you know what it's not i'm going to break this cycle i'm going to break this pattern and i'm not going to allow it to continue on and by showing that you know hey i'm going to do it like you can do it too and mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. let's change the future for other men for other women for other you know couples relationships for you know let's change the future by talking about it so that we can change you know cut that change how you show up mm-hmm. change how you're showing up in whatever capacity you're in you know because if you have that in you it shows up in all kinds of places and not mm-hmm. just you know in your relationships it was showing up you know that's i i one thing i didn't mention is that i had gotten i had progressed so far in my in my career as a union member and a and a uh, tradesman that when i got out of my apprenticeship school three months out I got hired as a superintendent, which is, I went from the lowest to the very highest. And I did that for 18 months, but my anger got me fired. Hmm. And so, I mean, we don't pay attention to things usually unless it hurts us financially. Uh, You know, when you get hurt in the pocket, you're forced to look at it. And so there's, there was one thing, um, what really actually made me change how I wanted to show up being abusive was uh, I was in an argument with my ex. There's two, there's two, there's two, uh, instances. I was in an argument, I was in a rage and I was yelling at her and my daughter was behind me and she was probably about two years old and I knew she was there and I looked back again and she was gone and that snapped me out of it. And I'm, I went looking for her and she was hiding in the furthest point of the house, uh, like cowering, crying. And so I immediately thought to myself, well, I wonder if that's how I was when I was, when my parents were, were fighting. I wonder if that's me. 
Yeah. And so anyways, uh, and then the second time was when we were in a fight in the car, we were going back and forth. Uh, we had already split up, but we were trying to take her to go to Santa. Right. And we had, we'd done that and we were leaving and we just got into an argument about something and it was just a back and forth where no one was getting anywhere. And it was just the, the octaves kept going higher, higher and higher. And all of a sudden out of, out of nowhere, she's like, stop. Well, I look back and I'm like, holy shit. She knows what's going on. And uh, I'm like, I'm done. That's it. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I I do not want her growing up thinking that this is what a healthy relationship looks like. And that when she gets into it, when she's older or gets into a situation where she knows she should leave and not, and, and just in the relationship that she stays in it because, well, my parents stayed together, you know? And mm-hmm. so it was really about her. And and being an example of what a good man looks like, mm-hmm. and I wasn't showing her that. I was showing her the complete opposite. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that went there's into. There's so many things, right? Yeah, so many things. It's like, and again, I know that the listeners are getting a ton out of this, as I am, and hopefully you are too, as you're processing through this. Um, there are generational. I mean, again, the things that I'm hearing that I've heard before on this podcast is generational patterns that continue on. And again, we do have the power to change that if we, if we choose to show up differently. And sometimes there's kids that come into our lives or sometimes that friends come into our lives to show us that, or to wake us up to say, you know what, no more. And again, you have the opportunity. And if you're doing it again, if you're doing it for them, if you're doing it for your daughter, choosing to change, then that's great. You know, again, if we can put our, that keeps coming back. Like if we can put our focus on helping others or other people, then that's, that's a good way to be, you know, to have that humble servant attitude, then um, it's a good way to show up in this world. Yeah. And a lot of, and a lot of opportunities have opened up because of that. I mean, I, 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 uh, I started a nonprofit organization um, called, well, it's nowhere to go, but up Inc is the actual uh, what it's under but i mean it's for me it's i want to i wanted to start a i wanted to help people in my population you know guys that are coming out of incarceration um and re-entering the community because when i went there was i mean the everything changed about me physically i got healthy physically and you know the body looked great and everything else but the i was still toxic right and none of the behaviors that got me there um changed while I was in there to help me when I got out. And so I was like, all right, well, how do we, how do we, how can I navigate this? Right. How can I help people that go in for short periods of time, like myself who don't qualify for the programming and any of the other stuff, you know, I was in 18 months, you know, basically in one place. And as I got comfortable there, it's time to go, go to the next, next stop. And same thing, you know, and people that are incarcerated in prison, there's waiting lists to get into programs. And if you're not there for long periods of time, I think anywhere from one to five years, there's not a lot, there's not a lot for you. And you either have to do it on your own, which none of us has the ability to be self-aware most of the time at that point. Cause, cause in order to change a behavior, you have to have people calling out the behavior. Right. right. And you can't right. do that in prison. You try, you, you, Hey, I want to confront you because you're, I feel like you're manipulative. <laughs> What's going to happen is you're going to get a, get a shank in the, in the side. Right. Well, and I, my parents, um, bless their hearts. They, uh, had a heart to, well, just help a lot of people. And, um, later on in their life, they started to be involved with, um, prison ministry and, um, prison fellowship, which is a organization. And they did seminars. They taught Bible studies in the local jail here on Sunday nights. And, you know, I know enough from, and they started a halfway house here in the, the town that I live in. And, um, you know, and I, you know, I saw the work that they did and heard stories and that just like you said, there aren't like you come out and you don't, you haven't figured out, like you haven't worked on the stuff on the inside and you don't, and you hang out with the same people, like the same stuff's going to happen and you're going to get thrown back in. That's that recidivism rate just continues to increase. But again, with you, when you came out finally, I mean, you found some other groups to hang with. And like you said earlier, that 
um, you had you were around others that were doing things that you wanted to do in a good way, right? In a positive way and things like that. So I think it's wonderful what you're doing to create that environment, to give men a place to come to, a place to, you know, come to, if you will, you know, with air quotes or just to be a part of that's better and different and offers hope for redemption, for recovery, for moving on into a better tomorrow than today. Yeah, well, specifically, as I was doing my my market research in the area, talking to different probation supervisors, managers, um, other community-based organizations, that the need in, in, in my county in particular was uh, for transitional age youth, males, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds. And so where they haven't really gotten to the point where they've ruined their life and are doing serious time yet, and their brains haven't developed fully yet. And so there is that opportunity to get in there and and show them a different way. And so I, I, my goal is is to provide a, a housing facility that will keep them for a year to a year and a half and allow them to, like I'm, I've already got a program, uh, self-leadership uh, training program that I'm going to be implementing in there. I'm, I'm going through the process right now of, of becoming a trainer in that. And also, you know, all of the elements that you're going to need, you know, even from people that I've had on my show, because once you're on my show, you're now in my network, right? And if you're a a coach or, you know, somebody that talks about self-sabotage, anger, all of these things, now you're going to be put on my sort of pinwheel of slices of different things that we're going to have, you know, Zoom uh, seminars on or presentations that they're going to have to sit in and, and listen to and maybe ask questions, you know, and pertain it to to, them, to themselves. I'll be teaching uh, content creation in there as well. One of the most pivotal things for me having a podcast was realizing that it gave me my voice back and that, you know, things that I had to say or, or people that I wanted to talk to it actually gave me a lot of um, self-esteem and confidence that I could carry on a conversation with a super intelligent person, even though I may not be as intelligent as them, but I could still volley with them in a conversation and ask questions and figure things out. And so I think that was really important in my transformation. And so I want to teach them that and give them the opportunity to have a show connected to the program where they can start getting their own guests on and and going through that process on their own and figuring it out and giving them a skill. I mean, that's a skill. Content creation is a skill, especially now in the world of, of, you know, digital world that we're all living in. Right. And uh, I was also able to link up with another community-based organization that's going to allow me to start teaching now this for their program uh, to 16 to 21 year olds. And this is women or girls and boys. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really in this space of where I just want to serve other people and, you know, hopefully, you know, my, maybe I'll blow up, maybe I won't, you know, who cares at this point, as long as I'm doing better and not like my main thing is, is, is look, let's just get through today and not have to do anything that's going to have to make me apologize for it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my most, that's my, that's the most important goal in my day. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, when I'm, when I'm showing up like that, then it's not about me and it's about everybody else Mm -hmm. and and how I can serve them. Um, When I get into that anger mindset uh, and don't talk about it, then it becomes about me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, a big word for me last year was surrender and I continue to bring that up as I get into a space too of like frustration and why aren't things going this way and why isn't this growing and why aren't, you know, who's even listening and all of that stuff in my whole life. And it's, and it's, it continues to be a, a struggle at times because I'm like a go-getter and I just move forward and I get things done and I success and all of this stuff. But I had to figure out and I still continue to figure out like the difference between surrendering and giving up and quitting because I'm not a quitter and I don't give up, but there is this, there's something to be said for surrender and saying, okay, I don't know. Like I have to give up that control of having to know where everything is going to be and what this is like, what's the purpose here? And what's what really, why am I supposed to do this? Like just giving that up and saying, Hey, I'm just going to follow like what, like 
you know, we met and I met people on Matchmaker and I meet people here and there. And it's like, I don't know. I even said, um, I've shared on this podcast before and I shared it a couple of days ago with someone that as I was struggling and on my knees in my kitchen going, don't take my daughter and like, what is going on? And I'm so scared about everything going around around me and mainly my daughter who appeared to be killing herself. I started to hear, I started to listen to the voices in my head, if you would, but it was more like when I started to slow down and meditate in the morning or just pray or take some quiet time, I started to think of somebody, Sean or Joan or Susie or whatever. And I decided to call him like, or text him like, Hey, Susie, Sean, what's up? You know, I've been thinking about you today. I had no idea why, but I just felt like I should do that. And things started to unfold and not that it was like, oh, wow, look at, here's a great success of my business. It was just those connections and something maybe that maybe one word that I needed to hear that day or uh, invitation to go someplace or whatever the case is. But that was like that surrender, like, okay, I'm just going to let you lead something else lead me instead of me trying to be so gripping so tight on that control. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that, that that's what it is. It's it's having to control things because a lot of times, especially for me in my environment when I was growing up, I had no control of it. I had no control over you know my parents and what they were doing and how they were impacting me. I had no control over a lot of different things, and I didn't think that I could control it. Right, and as I started you know going through my whole process and and realizing that you have to surrender to win, which is a really foreign concept to me too because I was, a, I was a team sports kind of guy. And, you know, I would just, I didn't understand that, you know, okay, well, if I surrender, I'm going to win. Meaning like Bruce Lee has, you know, the art of fighting without fighting, become water, you know, just, you know, just let it take you where inform you how it's going to and, and be a conduit, a conduit of good instead of conduit of bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so good, so good, and um, and again, I I feel like uh, I hope that our conversations continue. Um, I commend you again for the work that you're doing, and um, you know, for where you've from where you've come and where you're sitting today, and that you have that look into the the future um, that's so much brighter, and you want to offer that to other people. I think that that's I think that's extremely commendable. Tell people. Uh, you've said a little bit, but tell people how they can find you, where they can find you. Okay, so the the, the website is uh, is going to be live here pretty soon. I I went backwards with it. Um, I didn't do that in the beginning, and it's just now starting to come on board. So that's going to be nowhere to go but up pod dot com. Uh, you want to find where I'm at right now? You can go to Linktree, which is L I N K tr.ee forward slash nowhere to go but up all the places that you can donate um uh sites you know if you want to help my cause or whatever it is that i'm doing if you want to find my social media channels uh merchandise anywhere that i'm at in the show is that is in that link tree right now when the website goes live all of that information will you can find it over there as well. And there are actually going to be a, a page for the mission statement of the nonprofit and everything that's having to do with that. Uh, at some point that will have its own website as well. I'm currently in the process of putting the board of directors together, the, the real one. I, ha I, I put one together, but just to get it through. And now I'm, I'm actually got a co-founder that's taking over part of it. She's going to be the, the uh, one part of it. I'm the, the media other part of it. And so like we're working really hard to kind of put this thing together and, and try to roll it out and, and get everything going with it. So those are the best places to find me. Uh, Nowhere to go but up is the podcast. It's available as a live stream as well as a audio only uh, on the podcast platforms. And so you can, you know, YouTube and like I said, anywhere on that link tree, go in there mm -hmm. and you can find all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I'll put that in the show notes too. So people have a link to that as well. Um, what are your last words uh, for, for the audience? Um, if, uh... if you have a, a male in your life that is struggling and going through some of these things, even if they're in incarceration, um, you know, 
you can have them reach out to me. Uh, like if you, if you have somebody in your life that's incarcerated, he's a male and he's struggling with kind of, you know, all of any of the things that I've, I've talked about, uh, you can write to me at PO box 1450 Brentwood, California, nine, four, five, one, three. And I do mentor, uh, males as well. Um, so, you know, any way that I can help, let me know, because we need to start getting a better generation of guys out there that can start being leaders and role models in, in you know, how to show up in a more meaningful, loving, caring, uh, compassionate and empathetic way um, in their relationships, in life, in their jobs, anywhere that they, they need to be. Uh, I think that that's the, the, the future going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. It's great. It's awesome. Um, thank you again. Thank you for this connection. It's been wonderful. And I do, um, I really do sincerely hope we stay in touch. I think that um, the work that you do is, is, is noble work. And um, I'd love to continue to, you know, support you any way I can. And again, I think it's great. Thanks for being here. I know that uh, you provided a lot of hope and insight into so many things. Um, for the listeners today. I do appreciate that. Thanks again, Sean. And again, thanks again, listeners. Uh, please do not forget to um, subscribe to rate and review to share these podcasts because uh, that's how we continue to get this word out. The word of hope, redemption, um, that tomorrow can be better than today when we um, get real and make the choices and again, commit to um, commit to that. So again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.